0: You're listening to Academic Gig, Episode 4. Academic Gig is a podcast for current and aspiring academic creatives, freelancers, and entrepreneurs. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials, sign up for our email list, and share your ideas for episode topics at academicig.com. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Sarah, nice to talk with you again. Hey, Katie, how's it going? It is going well. What is up for you and your business this episode?
1: Uh, Well, I am thinking a lot about these conversations that we've had recently about uh, different identities in your work and, you know, what are you representing? uh, How are you representing yourself and how do you talk about the work that you do and things like that? And A lot of those um, really deep thought experiments have turned into me thinking about revamping my website a little bit. And so I'm kind of wrestling a little bit with different um, ways to describe the work I'm doing and what I actually want my online presence to look like. So that's kind of what I'm mulling with uh, this time around. How about you? What are you wrestling with?
0: Uh, Well, I had mentioned on the last episode as our resource um, to recommend this course on Rock Your Web Design Business, and I am like smack dab in the middle of it, and I love it. It's super helpful, but it does take time. So I've really had to kind of set aside some time that typically would have been devoted to other parts of my business to really um, digging in on some of my professional development for me and for the business. And um, it's been a nice reminder that, you know, you need to set aside time for things like reading and taking courses and also some of your finances as well to invest in those things um but it's been really helpful it's it's got videos and there's also some workbooks that are kind of embedded and then other documents that are embedded throughout the course that um are really helping me to think through uh similar to you you know like the website presence for this particular part of my business and how to talk with clients about the different kinds of services that we offer and the kinds of benefits they would get from working with us so um a lot of brain work but it's Mm. really good really good good
1: Good, glad to hear it. So uh, that kind of segues us very nicely into our topic for today. Do you wanna uh, kick it off and kind of describe what
0: we're what we're gonna be chatting about today? Sure, so what we thought we'd talk about today is um, how do you kind of have these different identities with your business? And um, it's a little bit splitting off of our previous conversation about full-time work versus side work because um, for me, you know, like I have a a separate set of like, you know, business cards and resources, and I have a separate website and and things where I need to send people that represent my side business apart from my full-time job. A big reason for that is I work for a state institution, so I have to be really careful um, that I'm not, like, you know, muddying those waters. Um, But also, because we work with different kinds of clients and different kinds of stakeholder groups and And like I keynote on a lot of different topics and things like we just might take on, you know, different kinds. We might wear different hats with different kinds of clients. And so we thought we'd kind of dig into that today. So, Sarah, let's start. I'm curious if just what are the different kinds of hats you feel like you're wearing with your business?
1: Yeah, uh, one of the one of the biggest challenges when I first got going here was thinking about all of the different things that I could do uh, in the business and that I wanted to do in the business and how they all fit together because some of them some of them seem kind of disparate from one another. So if I just sort of list off a few, um, you might get a sense for how these things are a, a little bit hard to to put together. Um, so I have the organizational development uh, component. Or the organizational sort of strategic planning and evaluation and uh, organizational progress kinds of things that I like to do. And I like to think of that as the um, application of my how to do research. Uh, kind of hat. Um, but there's a lot of pieces to that. So there's a lot of things like digital technology and consulting on, you know, social media, or thinking about how do you run a focus group? Or what's the best way to get input from your stakeholders? Is it to put out an online survey? It's then developing the online survey and thinking about how to market the online survey. So there's a lot of pieces that go into that. And then on the other side, I uh, have written a book that's called Bridging the Relationship Gap that's all about the content of my, uh, of my studies in graduate school, so about stress and resilience um, throughout early childhood. And so um, for that side, I, I do things like go and do speakings and trainings and professional development opportunities with teachers and social workers and others who work with kids and families. And those two things feel really different sometimes. Uh, If you think about just audience, those are two really different audiences. One is professionals who are working with kids and families and or parents or that sort of thing. The other is organizations. And so when I think about how do I um, describe the work that I'm doing, it can get a little challenging because, you know, one of the things you're supposed to do is really hone in on your audience. And when my audience is sometimes two very different groups of people um, it can get a little bit hard to um, figure out how to describe that, and also figure out what is it that this this particular client might be looking for from me. So, um, one of the things that's actually been really helpful in th- in thinking about how do these pieces fit together. Um, is that one of the the clients that I have right now they um, they do professional t- development trainings and those sorts of things, but they also are looking at redesigning some of their online training options and they reached out to me because of the work that i've done on YouTube and um, other sorts of more public um, public speaking but also online kinds of um, kinds of things that i've done in the past and they came to me to um, help, help them redesign some of these online courses. So that was really a, a little bit of both and. Um, my content expertise is really helpful in that job, but, so is my ability to understand how you know digital technology works and to do video and to think strategically about marketing and you know developing um, content and those sorts of things and so it was kind of a nice marrying of those two um, and so since then i 've been thinking a lot more about how those two different audiences are actually sometimes really overlapping, and that i shouldn 't assume that I know what the person I'm talking to is looking for, and that I should instead ask questions. Um, and so, K- Katie, I'm curious for you, where's the, um, where's the tension in the, the full-time work versus the part-time work? I know I dealt with that as well when I was working um, for a university, too. I always felt like, okay, which person am I right now? Which business card do I hand out? Um, I'm wondering how you, uh, how you balance that and how you wrestle with those things.
0: Yeah, so this is something that I've been super intentional about because I previously worked for a private institution where it just wasn't as big of a deal. And they expected me to do some consulting stuff on the side and that it would be representing the institution and it would be kind of good for everyone's reputations all around. And now that I work for a state institution, the lines are um, a lot more clear and a lot more delineated. And when I first started working um, at Oregon State, we actually had a series of meetings um, with various people around the institution with my boss and some other folks to talk about how do we really separate this out in a way that makes sense. Because the biggest challenge I was facing at that time was my previous job kind of kept me in the same circles professionally as the job I am in right now. But because of the previous work that I did, it was more around teaching and learning, and the work I do right now is more around research on teaching and learning, so it's a little bit different. There are a lot of people that might run into me at a conference where I'm there on behalf of Oregon State, and Oregon State eCampus has paid me to be there, but someone approaches me because they know about my previous work and they want me to do something that would be part of my side business. And so I wanted to be, and it's, and it's not like I, have all of a sudden become a different person you know like right, I have right. the same I have the same network you know like I have the same contacts. And so that was actually the kind of grayest area for me was like when I'm traveling on behalf of Oregon State, how do I really clarify to people that if they want me to have a conversation about that, we need to do it at a different time, you know. Like, and so I, I did make up different business cards, and and the other pieces too. Some people know me, you know, through my Oregon State email, and so they'll email me at Oregon State asking me to do something that's my side business.
1: Yeah. So then I
0: have to email them back and say, you know, um, this is actually something I do on the side. And, you know, here's my other email and let's continue the conversation over there. And I know the the biggest area of confusion for people has been around my second book, which is around blended course design. Which, because I now work with online teaching and learning research, people assume, well, that that must be tied in with your Oregon State work. But it's not, because it's a book that I wrote before I went to Oregon State, and it's consulting that I do apart from Oregon State. And I actually am not really involved at all with the blended initiatives at Oregon State. There's a totally mm. different person who does that work. So I have to be very careful when I get contacted through Oregon State channels are you contacting me as the director of the research unit here, or are you contacting me because you know I do consulting work about this? Mm-hmm. And so I'm usually very, I'm just upfront about it. I mean, I just tell people, like, here's the situation, and if you're contacting me for my consulting work, let's continue this conversation like through my Gmail address and not through the Oregon State. So it's actually not, I mean, initially, it was a little bit weird, but the more that I've had to deal with it, the easier it's become. And I just have to be very clear about, um, When I have any kind of revenue from consulting work, even if it would in some way, you know, maybe indirectly benefit Oregon State, like if if I get added to like a national board or something because of the book that I wrote on blended course design, but that national board could have good networking implications for my research job at Oregon State where we do grant writing or whatever it might be like, I just have to make sure everybody knows that I what I'm doing on Oregon State time and what I'm doing on my own time. So I just keep, like, really meticulous records about, about this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's really necessary. You raise a great point about, you know, working for a state institution. It's uh, There are a lot of rules and regulations. And so if uh, listeners out there, if you have questions about how to do that, it's definitely worth looking into your university's policies about that because some... Yes. Some universities have really open policies about, you know, you going and doing speaking and training and, and keeping the speaker stipend. Others, it's much more, you know, anything that you're doing related to the work that you you do for us, you then have to use that money to, you know, go towards salary savings or that sort of thing. So definitely look into your institution's rules about that. And, um And get a sense for what kinds of things you need to be tracking and and how to be um, how to be upfront about those things. I think that's great advice, Katie.
0: Yeah, well, and I would also add. I think it's really important to clarify because I would imagine some of the people listening to this are in a very different position than I am. I am not a faculty member, and that's Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. makes this kind of increasingly complicated. Is that because I am not a faculty member? I'm, I'm a full time administrator, staff person. I don't have the same. Like protections that a faculty member would have around some of these issues because faculty, at least at at my institution, faculty get a lot more leeway with Mm -hmm. consulting. Mm
1: -hmm. I don't
0: have that because of the position I'm in. So especially if you're listening to this and you're a faculty member, it is entirely likely that you will have more room um, to kind of maneuver in this space than I currently do. Um, And also a, a kind of additional layer to that because of the position I'm in I don't have the same um, kind of intellectual property um, uh, protections that a faculty member would have. So, like, if I write something on behalf of Oregon State, like, I, and like, uh, this is true of a book contract we're working on right now. I can't sign that contract, and I can't receive those royalties. That's with the mm. institution; it's not with mm-hmm. me. And so, this is a, a reason, and I think it's a it makes more sense to people why I do so much writing on the side because I want to own the rights to that, and I want to have you know royalties come from that that come to my business. So um, I've had to be really careful about also like this is why I do writing retreats and stuff. Like I I can't write during my Oregon State time and and have it be mine. So Mm -hmm. I have to be really careful about that, too. And so it takes a lot of I mean, I mean, I'm hoping people listening to this aren't like, oh, that's so much, you know, logistical work and it's not worth it. I mean, it's once you kind of get into the groove of it, it's a lot easier to do because you just kind of wear the different hats and, Mm -hmm. you know, you you know when you can talk with people and when you can't. And so I, I think it becomes easier over time. But at least initially, it can feel a little bit overwhelming.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I had a a similar sort of thing with my book when when that was uh, when I was in the midst of writing that um, and just had to have conversations with with the people at my university about, okay, how does this work and how do I report this as, you know, side income and all of those kinds of things. So just being upfront about that and, and really doing your 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 research on the back end to figure out. Um, what is the proper way to do this or what ways, you know, could I stretch it a little bit and and ask, you know, say, hey, like if I do it this way, is that still OK? Um, you know, some places will be really flexible and some won't. It just really depends.
0: Yeah, it it totally depends. And I think that it's not a conversation you should be scared to have. Um, but also, I think it's really important to know that this could be a good point in your business to bring in like some legal counsel on Mm -hmm. your behalf because um your institution will not represent you and they are representing the interests of your institution and so if you're starting to have these conversations this is when i i mean this was actually i think i mentioned this in in maybe our first episode like this was a big reason why i started my llc was to really differentiate in a very um formal way the work Mm -hmm. that i was doing on the side from the work that i do for my institution so um yeah, but I, I do want to talk about, Sarah, like how we are representing these different hats to different people, because I think there are so many areas where this comes in. And like you'd mentioned website, I had mentioned business cards, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like there may be other things like social media, you know, yep. like where, where are the different ways that that our kind of personalities and identities of our businesses are being represented? Um, so what what would you say is kind of the key place that you feel like your identity is kind of for your business is kind of living online. Yeah, I would say it's in
1: a it's in a couple of places. There's the there's the sort of more formal places like um, my website and I would say LinkedIn. Those are sort of the more professional Sarah <laughs> um, parts of the of the business that I that I do. Um, and then there's there's the more uh, you know professional, but also um, kind of. Unique and authentic voice of Sarah, which I would say is uh, is primarily on my Twitter. Um, I I try really hard on my Twitter to walk that line of professional and personal. Um, I uh, you know I tweet a lot about things that I've been working on or cool videos I put out or you know those kinds of things that are that are self promotion um, kinds of things. I also share a lot of other people's content um, because I think that that's important and I believe that that's um, how we kind of increase our knowledge base in general is by sharing and lifting up the voices of others. Um, but then I also will get in gif or jif or gif jif wars <laughs> with my friends on Twitter sometimes, which is also really fun and a part of my personality that I want to emphasize and that I think is um, a part of what makes me who I am. And so that, that thought that goes into um, what am I posting on social media is not only a what am I promoting on social media, it's a what is the personality I'm cultivating on social media? And so I would say that the the, the most sort of authentic um, online version of Sarah is probably on Twitter. So I'm at Dr. Langworthy, if you want to see what that looks like. <laughs> um, it's a little bit interesting. Sometimes there are really, you know, deep thinky pieces. And sometimes there are, you know, gifts of cute minions, it just really depends. Um, but I also think that um, being really thoughtful about how you put together that web presence, whether it's on social media or on your website, is is important. And it's something that I'm continually revamping. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm thinking a little bit about what language am I using on my website? You know, am I primarily a content expert? Am I primarily a YouTuber? Am I primarily an author? <laughs> am I a consultant? What am I? Um, and how do I represent all of those things in a way that's clear and concise to the people who visit my website um, without being inaccurate either? And so that's that's where my challenge comes in. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to hear from you, Katie, where, where do you think you're most um, authentic online and, and how do you uh, work to cultivate that personality?
0: So this is actually like a really difficult question for me to answer, like in terms of authenticity, like I think that the places where I'm most authentic are actually my podcasts, Um, Mm -hmm. because like and I want to raise this issue. And I've actually talked about this in other places. So one of the areas that I have struggled with for a long time and have really devoted a lot of my own professional development to is emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is not something that comes easily to me. And for people who aren't kind of familiar with emotional intelligence, it's basically like, how do you engage with other people in a way like when I walk into the office on Monday morning, emotional intelligence is asking my staff how their weekend went before I dive into what are we doing right now? You know, like mm-hmm. what's what's on our to-do list. Um, and this is an area just because of my personality and because I'm I'm a doer, you know, like I just focus in on what do we need to do? You know, like I and so when I work with clients, in particular coaching clients, this has been a real kind of stretch area for me to make sure mm. that I'm I'm really bringing that emotional intelligence to that client work. And for years, I have devoted time to doing this. Where I see this breakdown is on social media. Mm. Like it is very hard for me to kind of constantly be giving time to nurturing relationships on social media because I try so hard in my day-to-day life to do this face-to-face because it Mm. is not natural for me. So it is like way more easy for me to set up my social media scheduling platform to be You know, like pushing out different resources from other people, pushing out different resources that I have created and content that I have created, um, then to go on and kind of try to nurture relationships in these spaces in a really regular and consistent way and in a way that feels authentic to me because I don't feel authentic in those spaces. Like it's it's unnatural for me Mm. to kind of go and do those things um and so i mean if you see me interacting online one thing to know is it is always me i mean like like people have said um i've mentioned on the last episode like is there a team that's helping you do this like no there is no team um there is there is a social media scheduling platform called edgar which i will link to in the show notes that helps me to do this um and to be kind of so active on social media and when people talk with me i do um respond every time. I mean I'm it's not like I'm a robot. I mean, I want to be clear on this, but I just like I feel like when it comes to podcasting, when I can do kind of the introspection and the reflection, that feels more authentic to me because I'm sharing process and it's really hard for me to share process in little snippets on Twitter.
1: That's that's really interesting. Uh, it's interesting to hear, especially in the last episode, we talked a little bit about are are we introverts or are we extroverts, and where we both fall on the the introvert side of the spectrum. And um, one of the things that I've found as an introvert is that online spaces are actually the place where I feel more comfortable having those kind of one-off conversations. Like I'm way more likely to respond to somebody on Twitter who I would never in a million years walk up to in person, right? Like if they were across the room, I'd be hiding in the corner. <laughs> but because they put something fun out on on Twitter, I might reply to it or retweet it or, you know, that sort of thing, engage in that space because it feels, um, it feels less, um, less of a, big deal in a way. It's less yeah. threatening in some ways, and so I actually am more comfortable in online spaces. Um, you know, I can certainly put on the the facade of being in control and totally professional pants, Sarah, when I need to in real life, but um, in reality, I'm I'm way more uh, comfortable at engaging um, one-on-one with people in in online spaces.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's interesting because I'll, as an introvert, I would say the same is true for me. It's just what comes naturally is to just kind of, like, not do that emotional intelligence work. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's, and it's interesting, because I think, you know, for, for people out there listening who also struggle with this, like, you probably know, like, you can do that work. I mean, like, it just does not, it's not the first thing that occurs to you. Right, and so right. I find on in online spaces I, I fall back a lot easier into mm. what is kind of my natural inclination um, and I just have to practice more. I mean that's the the challenge and I've actually um, been thinking in the next, but if I can clear out some time in the next month or so, I'm really going to reevaluate my social media strategy because a lot of my social media strategy for the past year was really tied to experimentation because I was writing a book on what does it mean to be a professional online? So I mm. was doing a lot of things that I might not typically do because I was just trying things out so that I could kind of talk about them from a place of experience um, and in, in terms of also connecting it to the research I was doing. So um yeah. I mean, I, I think I want to go on and kind of reevaluate what are the different kinds of things that I'm pushing out into the world and how are people responding to it and, you know, all the metrics behind it and all of that, which it's, again, a great episode for a future podcast. A-
1: agreed. And any listeners out there who have um, thoughts on on this, how do you be, you know, a, a real person on the Internet kind of thing? Um Feel free to tweet us and <laughs> engage us in that conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts and your ideas on um, on how to how to do this balance. Because Katie, as you said, you're writing a whole book on this question of how do you be a professional on the internet? And I think there are lots of different ways to do it. And um, it's not always clear what's the, the best way and uh, or if there is a best way. So always looking for um, ideas from others on that.
0: Absolutely. And people can tweet us at academic gig or or um, Sarah, you mentioned you're at Dr. Langworthy. I'm at KD double underscore Linder. And we can link to all that in the show notes as well. Um, and also there's a, a contact email on our our website, academic dot com. If you want to shoot us a quick note about things that you're thinking about around these issues. Um, but Sarah, I would love to kind of shift our conversation to talking about our professional websites, um, mm-hmm. because this is one of those things, I feel like mine has been under construction for a long time. I mean, not, not like actively, but I feel like every, you know, six months or so, I've been like really heavily tweaking it. And I feel like I finally landed on something that feels good to me. Although there are pages within it that I, I know I'm going to change, the mm-hmm. structure of it is, is feeling pretty good to me. But um, talk to me about your professional website. What's, when did you start it? What's the story of it? How has it changed over time?
1: Yeah, uh, I started my website, I want to say like 2 to 3 years ago and I started it primarily um as a place to drive people um w- who were reading my book. So I knew I wanted to connect my online presence to my book in a, in a meaningful way. And so uh, what I did is I created a a few sub pages that were kind of linking to, to valuable resources or things that I thought were really important um, or extensions of the work um, that I, that I highlighted in the book. Uh, And so I had these, these web pages that were kind of resource uh, kind of static resource pages so that people who, um, wanted more information on, you know, parental incarceration, for example, if that was a topic they were really interested in, they could go to my website and find that topic uh, and some more resources on that topic. Um, and my thought was, you know, that that gets that that deeper engagement piece a little bit and, and makes people aware of some of the stuff I'm doing online. So since then, uh, a lot of stuff has changed, <laughs> including that now I'm, you know, full-time self-employed. Uh, and so I've had to change the, um, the focus of the website a little bit. And I've also had to change, um, some of my headers and those sorts of things. I've been trying to figure out again what are those identities? What are those words that describe the stuff I'm doing that people understand? You know, that aren't jargony or that that people can connect with very easily and quickly. Um, and so I try to make the I've tried to make the homepage kind of as clean as possible and kind of have my couple of different categories of things that I do or things that I'm focused on. So if somebody comes to my website looking for information on booking me as a speaker, it's very clear where to click for that. If somebody is looking to consult, again, very clear where to click for that. If somebody's looking for information on the book, again, very straightforward. So, um, and then as you drill down into the website, you know, then it gets a little more murky for me. I think it's a little harder to figure out, you know, how do you build this in a way that's engaging for people, but also gives them all the information they need. Um, I tend to be a little bit verbose. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, so, one of the challenges I have is just being, uh, Uh, Being you know short and direct and to the point on the website, but also still being authentically me, and so I think that's one of the things I wrestle with quite a bit um, with respect to the website. But in general, I'm I'm also in this place of kind of okay, what how do I want the to change this? And I think one of the main points that I keep reminding myself is that um, your website should never be completely static, right? You should always be thinking about uh, you know updating it here and there, and that doesn't have to mean a huge website overhaul, but you know, be thinking about what are the different ways that I could tweak this or adjust this um, to make it better and to, to improve it. And sometimes you can dig into the analytics and get a sense for who's coming to your website, for, you know, from where and how. Um, and maybe that helps inform the decisions you make about design. Um, but a, a lot of it for me is kind of like, oh, this doesn't quite feel right. Let's let's adjust this a little bit or let's move this over here or try to feature this differently. Um, and so for me, it's a lot of trial and error. <laughs> I don't have a lot of uh, great great you know, expertise in this area. And I'll be really curious to hear, Katie, what you have to say about this, because I know you do um, some web design kinds of work. And so I, I'm super eager to hear what do you do uh, on your professional website and how are you conceptualizing what that looks like and what it communicates?
0: Sure. So, I mean, the first thing I feel like I need to say is websites are really hard. Um, (laughs) they are agreed cheers to that this has not gotten easier over time for me and actually I feel like I have some of the insights I have 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 definitely been from working with clients recently and I I don't even I am very cautious even to say like I do web design I feel like I I do website creation work I mean like that's I I am not trained as a web designer and I really respect people who are trained as web designers and so I I want to be really kind of cautious about dipping my toes in those waters but um It was interesting because that part of my business came about because people would visit my website and say, who designed your website? And I would say, I designed my website. And they would say, do you do this for other people? And so I started to kind of dabble into this by um, doing some pilot projects, complimentary pilot projects for colleagues that I knew needed website redesign. And then I now offer it as a service um, as part of my business. And and really, it's actually offered as a service um, only in relationship to coaching I do with academics around branding so Mm. I don't like the the package I offer around this is a series of conversations about you and your kind of personal and professional brand and what are you trying to do so Mm. it's not like you just come to me and I and you you pay me and I build you a website I mean like it is a multi- phase process that I have outlined for working with clients on this particular area. Um, But for my own website, so as part of this, actually, the reason I kind of go into all that is when you go to my professional website, we can link to this in the show notes, the area I have for website creation work, I actually have created a four part video series talking about my own professional website and how it's developed over time. Because I think that that is like you said, Sarah, you're always in there tweaking. You know, like it's not something that You know like you finish your website and then it's done forever like it just doesn't work that way and so i really wanted to clarify for people like how i've how i've done this over time and the decisions i've made but to keep a, a long story short and you can go and look at these videos if you want the longer story i had a professional website um i made it super simple when i went on the market last time in 2015 and then um, when I started my LLC, I, I launched kind of a new website presence in the summer of 2016. This was around the time I launched um, my podcast, You've Got This. And then partway through 2016, I decided I needed to like branch off of that professional website to have a specific site for my LLC. So I had one site that was really just talking about my projects, like my podcasts and my books and things like that. And then I had a second site, which was like where you could come hire me. And so one site was really like, here's all the stuff I give away for free, and here's like who I am. And then the other site was like, oh, you want to work with me? Here's all the ways you can work with me. Mm -hmm. Now, within the last couple months, though, because I've started selling kind of products, like I have this webinar series that I launched um, within the past couple of weeks, it did not seem right to me anymore to be separating out those two websites. And so what I decided to do was to merge them back together again. And so now Hmm. when you visit my professional website, there's an about page, there's a projects page where you can see my podcasts, my webinars, my books, um, you know, all these different kinds of things that I do. There's a blog. So I've taken all the stuff that I used to put out into Medium, which is a group blogging platform, and I brought it back to my own website as a, a way to kind of drive people to my website. And then I also have a work with me tab. And when you go into the work with me tab, you can find out about my individual coaching you can find out about the website creation services you can find out about um, my speaking and workshop facilitation services and you can find out about some virtual writing groups that i'm planning to host next summer so um you can kind of find out about these different ways that you can kind of work with me and and hire me basically but i've merged those things back together and and that's been Interesting, um, and I really liked the process of doing it. I felt like it really helped me to kind of streamline what is it that I'm trying to do. And I actually ended up stripping away, especially in my speaking and workshop facilitation. I ended up stripping away a lot of the stuff that I used to offer, and I don't offer it anymore. So mm. um, that it was a really interesting process because I feel like, and it's not done. I mean, I, I to clarify, like you said, Sarah, it's never done. Um, but I, I feel like it's in a more stable place now. Um, after kind of merging those two things back together,
1: yeah, I, I like what you said there about kind of bringing things back home, for lack of a better term, the the idea of connecting things that that you had in different places and and emphasizing that that these are all kind of they're all connected in a, in a yes. way because you are the connecting point. Yes, um, one of the things I, I often see with professional websites and maybe you can you can weigh in on this as well um, is the lack of intentionality about connecting all of the places that we exist on the internet in one place. And so one of the things I think my website, the the focus of my website is honestly just to say, okay, here's where I am on Twitter. Here's where I am on YouTube. Here's where I am on LinkedIn. You know, it's that place where you can find me on all of the platforms that you prefer to operate on. But here on my website is where I can connect those. Sometimes I find it really hard when I go to a person's website or I go to an organization's website and I can't find where they are on Twitter, right? I, or yeah. I can't find, you know, the link to their Facebook page or, you know, their, their medium blog or whatever it is. Um, I think part of the, the purpose of a website is just to be that, um, that starting place for people to find you in other places or to be that place where somebody finds you on Twitter and then goes to your website and learns, oh, you're over here or, oh, you're doing this cool thing. And so showcasing your work on in different areas and different places of the internet, I feel like is, is something that sometimes people miss on a website.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And also, I can't tell you how many academic websites I've gone to where I can't find their email.
1: No. Like, people, like,
0: don't want you to contact them or something. And I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to contact you for, you know, I want to collaborate with you or I want to hire you or whatever, and I cannot find out where their email is. So, <laughs> so please put your email on your professional website. Um, or at least but, a contact page. Yeah, like, exactly. Something, some exactly. way to get in touch. But I, I think, so I think you're absolutely right. These websites serve as a kind of home base. And and I've talked about this on You've Got This uh, I've done a couple episodes now on professional websites, and I think that that is a really good reason because Twitter could be gone tomorrow. And so if you're trying to set up your home base on someone else's platform, it's not the most stable thing. But the other thing that I think you've raised, and this is part of the process I, I kind of walk clients through, is websites are not really about you. They're about Mm. the visitors. They're about the user experience. And so you really want to think about, like, why would somebody come to your website? And Mm -hmm. they would come to your website because they want to contact you or they want to learn more about your projects or they want to learn how to work with you or they need your bio or they need a headshot or they need, you know, like there's very kind of functional reasons that people would come to your website and they need to be able to clearly find what they're looking for right from the very beginning. And I think the challenge for a lot of people is, They may not know who's coming to their website, so they're not sure where to direct them. Or they may not have a clear idea of their own, like, map of where people should go or, like, where they want to direct people or the pathways that they're trying to create on their website. And this is where I think working with someone else, whether it's, like, hiring someone or just having a conversation with someone about, like, what is it that you might want to know if you come Mm -hmm. to my website That will help you kind of to create these pathways and to make sure the website is functional and really like pleasurable from a user experience perspective. Like you don't want you want someone to come onto your website and stay there. You want them to kind of look around and like dig around on your blog and and like really see who you are and what you represent. And if you have like this outdated website that's, you know, clearly not being updated and it has errors on it and it's not mobile friendly and, you know, all these other things. People are not going to want to do that. And so I feel like this is really, I talk about in my book that your kind of online presence is like your curb appeal. Mm-hmm. And it's a very kind of capitalist way of thinking about this. So I understand why some people would be put off by that. But we, when we're online, you know, it's important how people view us. And people make split second decisions about whether or not they're going to follow you or whether or yep. not they want to know more about you or whatever it is. And if that's important to you, I feel like your professional website is a cornerstone. I mean, it's it is a huge part of the foundation of who you are online, and um, yeah. I, so I, I'm just a huge believer in thinking really carefully about what is it that people need from you when they go to your your professional website.
1: I totally agree, and I I suspect most of our listeners have had the experience of finding somebody on a, on social media or finding somebody on their on a website, and you know, going to that website and having the the reaction of like. Yeah, no, they're, I don't really need to know them. But yeah. also having the experience with other people going to their website and being like, wow, this person's really cool. They're doing cool stuff. I want to know them. You want the second one, right? Like that That's the reaction you want to generate for people. Yeah. Um, you want them to get excited about the work you're doing and, and the potential ways that they might connect with you. And if your website doesn't do that, Arguably, especially in the self employment world it's it's not doing it right, right? yeah, you, you need to have that energy and that sense that people want to be near you, people want to hear from you and want to be connected to you in some way that's that's what you want to go for
0: yeah, well, and I think that there's definitely a difference between people who are really well established in the consulting world and in the the self-employment world where they have a network that's been built over time and they don't need a professional website. You know, like right. they, they have something else going on. And I've definitely talked with these people and they've contacted me and said, you know, what do you think about this? And I'm like, you know, I'd be happy to work with you. but. My special concern with those folks is sometimes they're hard to contact because it's mm. it's hard to know how to get a hold of them. Um, but for people who are just starting out, this to me is like mandatory. I mean, yep. like you need a professional presence that you own, that you control the aesthetic over, um, that you are not relying on social media channels or other channels. Now, not to say those are not supplementing your mm-hmm. online presence because they certainly are and having a Facebook page and, you know, all those kinds of things, um, but it websites are so easy to do now in terms mm-hmm. of like you know what you pay to buy a domain name and and hosting and you know all those different kinds of things it is not you know out of the realm of possibility that people can do this on their own right so i think that that's you know that's another thing that like the gate the gatekeeping is over in terms of mm-hmm. creating your own professional presence like you really can figure it out but um so the other piece i would say though is i think by merging my two professional websites back together, I was able to take a slightly different tone on Mm -hmm. the website I just launched. And I also recently got new headshots done. Um, These are my second round of headshots this year, I should say, because I've gotten my hair cut twice um, in (laughs) drastic ways. And so I needed to do it a second time. But actually the first time I did my headshots, I felt like they came out pretty serious Mm -hmm. and they weren't kind of playful in any way, Mm -hmm. shape or form. And so the second time I went back to do them, I wanted to have a little more personality. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this new website offers some of that. And it gave me the opportunity to really kind of I mean, I don't want to go as far as to say like shift my brand because I don't think it's like that monumental of a change, but Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like it opens it up to be like, this is who I am, you know, like, and, and even to the point where on my about page, I put like likes and dislikes, you know, like, and got a little bit more personal than I have in the past, because especially when I'm working with people one-on-one, you know, like we are developing a relationship and I feel like that relationship development starts on this website when you first come to learn about me and see if we might be a fit to work together
1: i think that's a great point especially um when you're thinking about those potential clients or people you might work with you know frankly if they're put off by the fact that you you know you have a slightly silly uh photo on your website or that you have you know talked about the things that you like and dislike they're probably not the people you want to work with. And so the, the great thing about being able to be more personal online and be, you know, and, and show that side of yourself on your professional website is it, I think, may even help filter out some of those clients that are not a great fit. And it's not that they wouldn't be a great fit for someone else. But for you, you know, if, if they're not going to be having a good sense of humor during throughout the process, like for me, that that's kind of hard. And so I would like to work with people who, you know, who have a sense of humor. And so if I can convey that that's kind of my work style, and that's how I roll, um, then that that makes that relationship um, more likely to start off on the right foot, I would say.
0: Agreed. All right. So before we start to share some resources that have been helpful for us in relationship to this, is there anything else you want to say, Sarah, about wearing multiple hats?
1: Uh, just that I love my hat collection. And it's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I, I have said this before on the podcast that I love having these different avenues that I'm exploring all at the same time. And though the pressure is often to specialize and to find your niche and to do one thing really well. That's not who I am. And so I love having these different things that I'm, I'm working on that are in completely different areas um, in some cases. And and I love the challenge of that. I love that no day looks the same. Um, there's nothing that I'm focusing on one day that's, you know, <laughs> frankly, not completely different <laughs> from something I'm doing the next. And and that's that's a variety that I really appreciate. And so I love being able to kind of switch back and forth between things. It also opens me up to meeting a lot of different people, which I love. I love, you know, meeting new people and learning um about our similarities and things that we might really gel on. And frankly, that's how you and I met, Katie. And so like I'm I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for having those different hats. And um yeah, my ever expanding hat collection. I'm just gonna just gonna keep tacking
0: them on. It's great. All right. So let's jump into our resources for this week related to wearing multiple hats. And I actually have one that I just thought of that I, I've i not read this yet, but I actually think it could be useful to our listeners. And it is on my to-read pile. I've heard really great things about it. It's a book called How to Be Everything by Emily Wapnick. And this is a book that is meant for people who like to go in multiple directions all at once and who <laughs> do not want to hone in on their businesses or other things that they're working on um, and it's kind of for, I think the subtitle is something about like people who don't know what they want to be yet when they grow up. Um, and so this is something that I want to be looking into because I think that, like you mentioned, Sarah, there is pressure to really, mm-hmm. you know, hone in and to be very, um specific about the kinds of things that you're supposed to be doing in your business and the kinds of clients you want to work with and for both of us we've moved in a lot of different directions and are still exploring in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. i think it's okay and i think Mm -hmm. this book says it's okay so if you're if you're like sarah and i and you want to kind of (laughs) explore without guilt maybe this is a book that would be helpful for you sarah what's your resource (laughs)
1: That's great. I I love that that framework and how to be everything, because
0: that's sometimes what it feels like. It feels like I'm trying to be everything. Sometimes
1: people give me funny looks, but you know, that's all right. I'm going to do me. Uh, As for my resource for today, um, I have fairly recently stumbled upon um, this online program called Canva. For those of you who are not graphically uh, inclined in terms of graphic design or or those sorts of things, um, Canva provides really great free. Uh, if you're looking for that, you can also do paid options, but it provides a really great um, way to create those graphics that you need on your website or in your other social media accounts. So things like YouTube thumbnails or posts on Facebook or uh, other social media things. It also lets you do you know flyers and letterhead and those sorts of things, but it provides a lot. Lot of uh, a library of different shapes and um, ways to feature different photos and colors and designs. And it's it's a really great resource for, for people, especially like me, who are just not going to be able to come up with a really cool design off the top of your head. Um, and they provide a lot of great templates and things that you can then play around with. And so I've been using Canva a ton for a lot of different projects in the last few weeks. And so for those of you who don't know uh, about that, definitely check it out because it's, it's a great resource resource um, if you're looking at kind of graphics and how do I represent things online and uh, definitely check it out
0: yeah I have to jump on the canva bandwagon as well and I can share because I do pay for the paid uh, monthly subscription to this and I can talk about why so one other thing I use canva for is slide decks um, mm. and I create kind of keynote and workshop slide decks with canva that I really like and I've also used the um, canva for a lot of graphics on my website and things like that when I do blog, posts, I do a graphic and I, I build that in Canva. Um, but one of the things that you can pay for with this and and the free subscription actually worked for me for a long time. The reason I jumped to the paid is because it has this option of resizing. Yes. So that <laughs> yes. you don't have to like build something and then rebuild it in a different size. You and, and they're smart this way that you have to pay for this because it actually has saved me a ton of time. So I'll maybe build a slide presentation and then I'll want to like tweak it to be like a workbook style, but I'll want to use the same look and feel so I can like change the dimensions and then just tweak it so that it looks a little bit different. But for all of your social media art, I mean, as you probably know, social media platforms use lots of different sizing. So you could create one piece of art and then resize it to like five different social media platforms in like 15 seconds. You're making versus, me drool over yeah, here. I'm, I mean, I'm
1: really sad. I don't have the paid version.
0: <laughs> it's a thing. I know it's a thing. And so, um, and also, there's some stuff that comes, I think, with just the paid version around like brand colors and things like that. So if you're always using certain colors in your brand, and and also if you want to be sharing amongst a team or something, there's all kinds of things you can do there. But, um, I am a, a power user of Canva. I've been a power user for like a year and. I'm in there every week. I mean, everything I create for my podcasts. I mean, like there's so many things that I use that platform for. It's been huge for my business. So I got to I got to jump on that bandwagon, too.
1: Well, great. We've I think we've had a great conversation today talking about these different hats and identities and those sorts of things. Any other last thoughts,
0: Katie, before we sign off? Well, let's talk a little bit about what we are doing next time. So on the next episode, we are going to be chatting about our biggest fears about our businesses. So if you want to know what are the kinds of things that keep Katie and Sarah up at night related to their businesses, (laughs) um, check out our next episode. So Sarah, always good to talk with you. And um, thanks to our listeners for checking in with us this week. You can find us online at academicgig.com where you can find all of our show notes You can also um, sign up for our mailing list to receive over 100 free resources for academic creatives, entrepreneurs, and freelancers, and then also contact us directly to let us know about a topic you'd like us to cover on the show or to share your story. Uh, We always love to hear from listeners. Um, And if you would like to, we would welcome you popping over to iTunes and rating and reviewing the show. It helps other people to find the show if you find it to be useful for you.
1: Great. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And Katie, we'll uh, talk again soon. I'm excited. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Academic Gig podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something useful that you can apply in your own business. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript are available at academicgig.com. There, you can also sign up for our email list and receive over 100 great resources for recommended books, Blog posts and podcasts for the academic creative, freelancer, and entrepreneur that you won't want to miss. You can connect with us on Twitter at Academicig, or you can also find Sarah at Dr. Langworthy and Katie at Katie double underscore Linder. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation about this episode. There are several other ways to connect with the Academicig podcast. Visit the website to post a comment about a specific episode, suggest a future topic, or ask a question that could be featured on a future Q&A episode. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and helps others find the show. And as always, thanks for listening.